good morning, and I am so glad to see all of you here, whether you're here in the live venue, whether you're over in the communion venue next door, whether you're online, however it is that you're here, we're glad. So before we go any further, what I want to do is call out one group of people, and that is the students, the teachers, the administrators, um, Anybody, because I know this week, Klein, I think, uh, what did I hear, uh, Conroe, Spring, you all are starting up. The next week comes a couple of the others. The next week comes a couple of the others and the private schools and homeschooling. And, and so it's, it's kind of hard to do it all on one day. Next week officially is our back to school Sunday, but we realize a lot of people will have already started. So what I want to do is just have a moment of prayer. And so if you're any of the affirmations, you're a student, you're an administrator, you're a faculty, teacher, uh, homeschool, public school, private school, if you're going to college, um, why don't you stand right now because we're going to pray for you. Just go ahead and stand up right now. Let's give them a hand. A lot of people. Now. If you're not standing, stay standing. If you're not standing, why don't you just hold your hand out and bless one of these people and let me lead us in prayer. Now, Lord, you see all these men and women, boys and girls that are standing and contained in each of them is a seed of great potential for this next school year. Something that you're going to do, many things that you're going to do in and through them, things you're going to teach them, uh, things they're going to discover uh, experiences that they're going to have, uh, guidance that you're going to give them. Lord, we're just praying that your will might be done in each of their lives. Won't you give them grace? Won't you give them guidance? Won't you give them strength? Won't you give them clarity? Won't you give them peace that surpasses all understanding? Won't you give them tenacity and perseverance and all the things that it takes to be a student, to be teacher, to be faculty, to do any kind of educating today. And especially, God, in this day and age, we have to pray for protection. We're praying protection over every one of these young men, young women, older men, older women, anybody, any age. Lord, protect their schools uh, from the outermost edges of the parking lots to the innermost. Won't you just stand garrison with your angels around them all? We just commit this new school year to you, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give God a big hand for that. You can be seated. All right. Well, let's turn in Bibles to Acts 16. That's where we are as we continue this year-long journey. Ushers, you come on. Uh, I see you have ushers uh, have Bibles. If you need a Bible and you'd like to follow along, uh, just wave to one of them. They'll be glad to spot you one. You can keep it if you need. You can use your technology as well. And just put in Acts chapter 16. And so um, <clears throat> as you're turning, I'll just say one of the things that I really am enjoying about taking these long linear journeys through books of the Bible, like Luke last year, like Acts this year, is that it forces us to take texts that you might uh, normally just sort of skip over, uh, either because you think, well, there's not very much there, or 
because it doesn't accentuate one of the exciting stories uh, or passages in scripture. So you say, well, or because it reveals a little bit too much of the humanity of the characters of scripture and doesn't paint them in a heroic position. And that's one of the reasons that we know the Bible is true because the authors of scripture were so honest. And in those days, other types of literature was being written and they were not nearly as honest in their historical documents as scripture writers are. And so uh, with that said, what I think we're going to see, what I know that we're going to see, is um, that we're going to see sort of the, the soft underbelly of some characters today in Scripture who were having a little bit of a challenging time understanding God's will and getting it right. Do you want us to go this way or do you want us to go that way? Have you ever, I wonder if you've, anybody here, you ever found yours, maybe you're at a crossroads right now. You're like, actually, that's me. I don't know whether I should go this way or that way, take this job or that one, if we should get married or if not, or if we should have a child or another child or where do you want me to go, God? There's just so many things. And, and what is your will? If you've ever struggled with that question, today is your day. Let me start in uh, with Acts 16. I'll read, you follow along. And we'll just uh, see some interesting things. Verse, six, uh, verse 1 in 16. Paul came to Derby, and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was Jewish and a believer but whose father was Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. That's Timothy. Paul wanted to take him along for the journey so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in the area for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, Let's stop here in a minute, uh, for a minute, while they're in Lystra. It helps me to look at the maps to try to get oriented of, of what's going on. So let's take a look at, at here's, here's where they started. They've had the council at Jerusalem that Duffy talked about, and now Paul and Silas are headed up, and they're going to come around Antioch and Tarsus, and they're going to go over to Lystra. That's where this scene is happening. Now, when you think of Lystra, you should think of something that happened a couple of chapters ago. At Lystra, on Paul's first missionary journey, this is his second missionary journey we're starting in on today. On his first missionary journey, there's some people who got riled up. And the crowds dragged Paul out to the outskirts of Lystra and they put him in the center of a circle and they began to pelt him with stones, which could be uh, deadly. Many people were stoned to death. In this instance, they left him for dead, but he didn't die. Miraculously, Paul popped up and dusted himself all and, and off and, and, he, and he kept going along. That's what happened in Lystra. Scholars surmise that there might well have been a young person, maybe like one of our high schoolers, 17 or 18, maybe college age today, 19, who along with his mother had seen the commotion that had come out and had watched and had stood on the perimeter of what was going on when Paul was stoned nearly to death. And his name was Timothy. And <clears throat> if that is how it happened, it wouldn't shock us then 
that Timothy and his mom would have been so profoundly impacted by watching this man, Paul, who had preached a new message, good news, gospel, even to the point of saying, if you're going to kill me, kill me, and he didn't die, that they would have surely, walking home or sometime or another, said, God, what we have just seen has changed our lives. Whatever is inside of him, we want that to be inside of us. We want whatever spirit you put inside of him, whatever power you put inside of him, we want that inside of us. And so they became believers on that first trip that Paul took to Lystra. Now he's back in Lystra. It's a couple of years later. And he sees and meets Timothy more personably this time. And he says to himself and to Timothy, I think you have potential. I want you to go with me. Paul and Silas and I were going to be on a missionary journey, and I think you should come. And Timothy says, let's go. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'm in. Only problem was that uh, Timothy, because it's... Uh, uh, or in, uh, because his, his parents were a divided couple. One was Jewish, one was Greek. Therefore, he, he hadn't been circumcised. Now, we got settled a couple of weeks ago with Duffy that the Council of Jerusalem had made clear you don't have to become Jewish to become Christian. That had been a confusion. We had to become Christian. So the men have to do that. You've got to go through that before you can become a Christian. Nope. They said you do not have to. At the same time, Paul says, but Timothy, here's the deal. If you're going to go with us and minister to all these Jewish people that we're going to minister to, and you want them to take you seriously and listen to you and respect you, you're going to have to become like me. Which... Duffy posed an interesting question. How would anybody know? And he said, Ken will answer that in a couple of weeks. So I was, I, I, I really, I was like, I've never even wondered that question. And, and but I did start wondering. I started picturing, but what was it like? I mean, did the men just stand in line outside the synagogue like we do at the airport going through the TSA booth? And it's like, ID, please. Oh, boy. You know, and, and so I finally reached out to one of my professors at Asbury Seminary, Ben, ben Witherington, who's a brilliant scholar, who's written a commentary on every book of the New Testament. He said, no, Ken, that is not how it happened. So... To be clear, he said, public uh, nakedness is shameful. No, in an honor and shame culture, Paul's word would have been his bond. And Paul would have vouched for Timothy. So, you never have to wonder about that again. All right, now that we have that dealt with, let's get on uh, our way. So Timothy now is joining Paul and Silas, verse 4. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered these decisions reached by the apostles and elders at the Council of Jerusalem for people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they grew daily in numbers. Now they're going to go from Lystra up around Pisidian Antioch. Verse 6 says, Paul and his companions go from Lystra and they traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Now let's stop there for a minute. I want you to underline this in your Bibles. 
having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. What's going on? So you might read right through this. But no, no, what Luke is telling us is that Paul, he really, he had this gravitational pull towards Ephesus. He just knew something great's going to happen in Ephesus. And it will on his third missionary journey. He's going to spend a lot of time there. But that wasn't God's will, not at this point. And so the Holy Spirit says, nope, 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 that's not where you're going. You're, you're not going into Asia Minor. And so he closes that door and he blocks them. And that begs the question, well, how, how did he block him exactly? Was it a lack of inner peace that Paul felt? Did they have transportation challenges? Did somebody get ill? We don't know. Luke doesn't tell us how it happened, but God always does have a way of getting our attention to us. He has a way of signaling us. We don't know how, but we do know that he was blocked. And so what do they do? They give up and say, well, fine, I guess we'll go back to Jerusalem. No. They said, well, Christ told us to go into all the world, so let's, let's keep going where it's not blocked. So they went northward. And they get up somewhere uh, north around Mysia. And, <clears throat> um, and at this point, you know, they're deciding, okay, he must want us to tack to the northeast. We'll go up into Bithynia, it says in verse 7. And then... The Spirit of Christ doesn't allow them to go into Bithynia. So they get another closed door. It's as if God's saying right there, nope, that's not it either, men. And what I want you to see, men and women, even the great Paul had a few misfires when he was trying to discern God's will. I find hope in that myself. Because if Paul couldn't bet a thousand... When it came to God's will, then there's hope for you and me as well, right? So, you know, at this point, Paul's like, okay, God, you're closing that door, you're closing it. Where do you want us to go? Go west, young man. So, verse 8 tells us they passed from Mysia down to Troas. And don't you imagine at this point, Paul was a little bit probably frustrated. He was like confused. He's like, God, we had our plan. We were going to go into Asia, it was a minor, and we we're going to preach to all these Jewish people. And Timothy's ready to do it, you know, and, and, and you've closed all the doors. And we're, I'm so confused. What's, and now I got young Timothy saying, so what, where are we going? And, and I'm having to say, you know, Timothy... I don't know. Sometimes God kind of does this, but don't turn and cut and run. You know, he will make it clear. And in verse 9, he starts to make it clear. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing up and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us over here. And verse 10 says, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding God's called us to preach the gospel to them. And so from Troas, we put out to sea. And sailed straight for Samothrace, and then the next day to Neapolis. And from there we traveled to Philippi, which was a Roman colony, the leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there for seven, several days. So all the while that Paul thought God wanted him in Asia Minor, God had something else in mind. He gets them out to the very coastal city of Troas and says, now go West, and they've just sailed uh, across the northern part of the Aegean Sea. What I want you to realize is that as Paul steps foot into Macedonia, the gospel of Jesus Christ has just entered Europe for the first time. 
So God had his plans. Paul wasn't quite in touch with them yet. But God was saying, no, I need you to get over to a new continent with this message. Verse 13, on the Sabbath, we went outside to the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down and we began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Who do you think is going to be uh, the first European convert? A man? No. Verse 14, one of those who was listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were, ba- and when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home and said, if you consider me a, a, a true believer in the Lord, then you come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Pretty cool. The first convert in Europe is this woman named Lydia. She was probably a wealthy one, probably had a home in Philippi, probably had a a home over in Thyatira, which was kind of by Ephesus where he'd wanted to go over in Asia because she dealt in purple cloth. That was apparently a really special thing, cost a lot of money. So she was an entrepreneurial, uh, she she knew how to make things happen. And so God says, we're going to start with her. She'll be the first believer in Europe. Now, It is an interesting story, and we could go on, but I don't want to go on. I want to stop there for today. Because there's enough meat on these bones that I want us to notice four things, four observations that we would be remiss if we didn't really pull them out of the text that we've looked at this morning. So if you're a note taker, here's the first one. The first one is this. I want you to realize when it comes to the will of God, pain Disappointment, confusion, they're not necessarily incongruent with God's will. To our peril, I'm afraid American Christianity, American believers, we have bought into the myth that if if I'm in God's will, I'm always going to be happy. It's always going to feel great. I'm always going to feel peaceful. I'm always going to feel momentum. I'm going to feel that divine shalom upon me. It's just, it's going to be great. And if I'm not feeling any of those feelings, I must be outside of God's will. Not necessarily. Now, many times we do feel peaceful when we're in the heart of God's will, but not always. As I just was saying, you know that Paul and Silas and Timothy, they're confused. What is going on? I'm sure Paul was a little bit frustrated as a hard-charging, a choleric, a red personality as he had. He's like, man, you keep changing my plans, God. What's going on here? Did the, did, 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 was this indicating that they were outside of God's will? No. They weren't outside of God's will. In fact, we'll see next week that sometimes being in the heart of God's will actually does involve some pain. I'll give you a spoiler alert for next week. Paul's going to end up in shackles, in jail, in Philippi. Does that mean he shouldn't gotten gone across the Aegean and go? No, no, no. We've established that was God's will. But sometimes God's will does have some pain, some disappointment, some confusion. I remember learning this <laughs> unforgettably during the pandemic. The pandemic was really a really hard time to be in leadership. 
um, because the pandemic kind of brought out the worst in everybody. Everybody's con- confined and they're irritated. So they just said, I'll just take it out on you. And, and you happen to be me a lot. And, and so I got so many mean letters, and not from any of you, from the people that don't come here anymore. Then you came. And so I like you better. And so, <laughs> well, anyhow. So I got all of these letters because you couldn't make a decision that everybody was going to like. Not during the pandemic, you sure couldn't. And, and so people were writing mean letters to me, and they were, they were saying, you don't know what you're doing, and uh, you've made a bad choice, and, and you're not leading well. We trusted your leader, but now we don't trust your leadership anymore, and blah, blah, blah. And one said, resign. You know, that was the best, but I'm not bitter. Anyhow, so... Um, <laughs> It was hard, and one morning I was having my devotions, and I was just praying, and, and I just, I, all of a sudden I felt tears coming out of my eyes, and, and I, I just, I, I, I just, Lord, I, I am so tired of this. It's hard enough to lead when times are good. It, it, this is so hard. I, 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 I think I've heard of some people who are leaving ministry, they're quitting, they're just changing professions, they're just getting out. Maybe it's time for me to get out, Lord. Maybe that's your will. Maybe I've come as long as I can stay, and, and it's your will, and this was as far as I was supposed to bring the church, and, and now it's time for somebody else to come and to take it over. And, and so, Lord, in fact, I always said, this is not my church, it's your church. I'm just an interim pastor. I'm just here until you take me out. And so, when, if it's now, Lord, I just, in fact, Lord, I just resign. I just surrender to you Lord I'm just done and I just surrender the whole thing to you and I just done now give me your new marching orders and 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 I just cried it all out and about 30 minutes later the still small voice of the Holy Spirit said to me there now you feel better let's get back to work and and so (laughs) he didn't release me and so here I am sometimes God leaves us in situations And we're still in the midst of his will. And that's why Paul would tell us in Romans 5. So even in those hard times, we still rejoice because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance builds character inside of us. And character leads to hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame. Sometimes he's just building character inside of us. And so if you've ended up in Troas, you're like, what am I doing in Troas? This is not where I set out to be. And that's what Paul was thinking. Remember what G. Campbell Morgan said, who was a famous pastor of a different era. He said, better to go to Troas with God than anywhere else without him. That's the first thing. Second thing. Second observation I make from our passage today, God opens and closes doors according to his timing, and his timing is always perfect. Uh, That's a lesson that those of us who who were here back in the day when we were searching for for property, because we knew we couldn't stay at the Club Intermediate School forever, the the ISD had said, you you have a few years, but you finally got to get out. And so we had seen 22 acres on the, uh, on the corner right across from Glenlock Farms, we're like, this is amazing, 22 acres, and it, it'll be $2.2 million, but that's a lot, but we can do it. We're going to just, so we went out and we prayed and we sang our songs and, and we blew the show fire, 
and, and we just knew everywhere the soles of our feet will strike, Joshua 1 will be our ground. And standing on that property today is America's most prayed over Kroger's grocery store. God just <laughs> closed the door. And it's like, that didn't go like And so then we set our sights on the 77 acres at Steubner Airline in Luetta. And we're like, 77, does it get more perfect than that? It's a divine sign, 7-7, seven, seven. this is going to be our life. So we got the horn out, and we went out, and we sang our songs, and we prayed our prayers, and we cried our tears, and we read our Joshua. And today, standing there, is America's most prayed over H-E-B grocery store. And so, so what was God doing? He was closing these doors on us. But were we discouraged? Not really. What was he doing behind the scenes? Ah, he was working in the heart and the mind of an old man named Leonard Binfer, who owned the 65 acres that we're on. He'd farmed it for years. We're sitting about where the collard greens were grown. And it was, I don't know, a couple months after that, he made the decision. I think it's time for me to sell. And by that point, we had practice and we were ready <laughs> and so God was making him ready God was making us ready and then the door opens and we moved forward see God guides through open doors but he also guides through closed doors we weren't outside of God's will we we were just he was just he was just putting us sort of in a holding pattern like the airplanes kind of have to do sometimes we're just circling the airport as soon as it opens up we'll be getting sometimes he leaves us there why because he's working something else behind the scenes now what might he have been working behind the scenes when he's sending them letting them go all around Asia minor Instead of just going straight over from Lystra to Troas. Don't you know, Timothy's like, Paul, if we're in up here, I mean, we had a straight shot. We did not have to go do all of this. Well, maybe in God's great plan, God knew a lady named Lydia is traveling and she's selling. She's not going to get to Philippi for a few more weeks. I need you to just wander around and I'll get you there. When the time is right. Even more likely, may I had never noticed. This is the coolest thing that I learned this week when I was studying or last week. I want you to notice something that happened. In the first eight verses of chapter 16, the pronouns that Luke uses are they and them. It says, they went to Lystra and then they uh, Paul and Silas, and they went to Mysia, and then they went to Troas. But then in verse 10, I want you to see what the pronouns turn into. We. Do you see what Luke has done? He's written himself into the narrative. What does this tell us? This tells us that most likely... Dr. Luke, who was a traveling physician, and we know that there were traveling physicians in those days in that part of the world, like uh, Galen, the physician, who would be called to help out the emperor more than once. And so Luke's a traveling physician. God, in his great play in New Paul, is much bludgeoning as you're going to take. As many times as you're going to be whipped and scourged and beaten and drowned and stoned, and you're going to need a doctor that just goes along with you. 
in God's great plan, maybe the reason he had them meandering around till he finally got them there is because he knew Luke isn't going to get to Troas until this day. And then they meet. And Luke comes to faith, hops on board. Paul says, hey, how about you round out our threesome and let's have four. I'm probably going to need a doctor. Yes, he was going to need a doctor. And Luke's going to be with him off and on for the rest of his ministry. Pretty cool. So what have we just said? God opens and closes doors according to his timing. And his timing is always perfect. So third thing, God uh, doing God's will leads to finding more of God's will. That's the third thing. Doing God's will leads to finding more of God. You say, well, that's kind of circular. I don't know if that makes much sense. Well, it does. Let me break it down. There's this verse in uh, Proverbs 4.18 that says, the path of the righteous will go brighter and brighter until the fullness of dawn day shines brightly. In other words, what is he, he's saying? As you step faithfully in the path of the righteous, he gives you more light. It just gets brighter and brighter. So you step faithfully here, he gives you more light. And you see more clearly. But that does also mean that therefore the opposite is true. The path of the unrighteous grows dimmer and dimmer then. It's sort of like uh, on, your, on your wall in your you know, dining room or wherever. You have one of those dimmer switches. And, and, and the further uh, you, you, you step into disobedience, it's, it's like God is turning it a little darker. Does it mean he's left? No, it means you've left is what it means and so <clears throat> there's only one thing that we can do when we when we realize we, we're starting to feel more and more distant is wake up repent and turn around otherwise we might end up being one of the sad people who wakes up one day and says you know i am so far from god i haven't even thought the thoughts of god in years, and I remember when I was a young person, God felt so close. What happened? You stepped on the path of unrighteousness. You just walked away from him. And things got dark. Turn back, he says. When I was in my young 20s, I was in seminary. And for one of my courses in seminary, I was assigned to shadow an older pastor. He was up close to 80 at that point, Stedman Bagby. Years and years of ministry, a lot of wisdom. And so I would spend four hours with him every Monday afternoon, just, just asking him questions. Many times he'd say, come, while we're talking, let's get in the car. And he would drive us uh, around Lexington, Kentucky, and we would uh, visit people. We'd go into hospitals, and he'd say, here's how you walk in, here's how you, here's how you introduce the prayer moment, and, and taught me basic skills about pastoring. Well, one Monday, we're in the car, and he's driving us down the, the pretty roads outside in the farms. There's a lot of horse farms all around Lexington. And all of a sudden, we turn in through this white picket fence, and we're going down this long driveway to this picturesque uh, farmhouse. Uh, and it's like, okay, this is one of the horse breeding people or something, clearly. Um, I said, Dr. Bagby, uh, who are we going to visit today? He said, well, 
Ken, we're going to see an old friend of mine, Ralph. Because Ralph's having an affair with a young woman. It is not his wife. And he needs somebody to speak the truth and love to him. I thought, this is going to be interesting. So we park and we get out and we walk up the beautiful doors of the facade of this house and ring the doorbell and, and there Ralph answers and he says, Stedman, come in. How nice of you to come see me. Who is your partner? Hey, this is Ken. Hi. And so we go in and we sit down and somebody brought us some coffee and some, some cookies and, and, and the two of them exchanged pleasantries and told old tales for a while and, and, <clears throat> and uh, then after a while of it with all the skillfulness of a surgeon Dr. Bagby stood up and he walked over to the wall and he takes a framed piece off the wall and he walked it over to the coffee table and he set it down he said Ralph what is that he said Stedman you know what that is that's my marriage certificate he said, yes, it is. He said, Ralph, I see your name on it. I see your wife's name on it. I see my signature on it. How many years ago was that, Ralph? It's been a while. Dr. Bagby said, yes, it has. He said, but I remember those vows that you took. On this day, Ralph. And for the next five minutes, with a mouth gaping open, I listened as Dr. Bagby gave his old friend an old-fashioned front-end alignment. <laughs> Ralph, what are you doing? You know that God has blessed your life. You know that God cannot bless this. It's costing you the respect of your grown children already. It's going to cost you the respect of your grandchildren. Not to mention the literal costs. Millions you're going to have to pay out for this craziness. Ralph, you need to stop it. You need to repent. You need to turn around. Because you know God can't keep blessing you. And he's blessed you for all these decades we've known each other. And you're stepping away from God's blessing. And then he turned to me and said, and now my partner Ken is going to pray for you. <laughs> and I knew he meant it because both of their heads were bowed. And so I said, dear Lord, please give grace to Ralph to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Forgive him, God, for stepping away from your plan and your perfect will. Once you restore to him the joy of his salvation and bring him back, bring him back to his marriage, and bring him home to your love and to your grace. And to your blessing. Amen. Now maybe you're not having an affair like Ralph. But maybe you are. And maybe God's just told you 
you know what my will is. Maybe it's an affair. Maybe it's a, a pornography addiction. Or maybe it's, maybe it has to do with alcohol. Maybe you, what used to be a casual, enjoyable tasting thing is, is now, you, you can't go a day without it several times. Or maybe it's a temper issue. And your anger is wounding people. But you're not dealing with it. If you're not living according to his will, men and women. You can persevere all as long as you want. You can pray and just, I'm asking God for his will. But how could he afford to give you an answer? Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. You need to repent and come clean. You need to step back and step into as much of God's will as he's already shown you. You already know a lot of his will. And that's why Paul wrote to the Romans in 12 saying, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then with that renewed mind, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. But you, you won't be able to discern it if you're not stepping faithfully in the will he's already made clear to us. Doing God's will leads to finding more of his will. Last thing. When God says move, move. So Paul and Silas and Timothy and now Dr. Luke in Troas hear God say go to Macedonia. And they headed to Macedonia. And there in Philippi the gospel comes. They moved. Now. I want to start to bring it in for a landing. And I want to say something here. Some of you, you really are uh, facing a, a critical, one of those critical pathways. I prayed with several this morning in the early service. It's a, it's, it's a big decision. It's a huge decision. And we're going to have prayer time. And we're going to have prayer partners in a moment. And I want you to come and let's pray for you. That you might have wisdom and discernment. Like James says in chapter 1, that you can ask for. And he'll give you that wisdom about the job or about the relationship or whatever it is. But, friends, I want to demystify something. When it comes to God's will, those huge critical crossroads, that's probably, you get more of them when you're younger. The longer you go, the fewer of those you're going to be facing. To the point that I would say probably 95% of the time, friends, God's will is not that hard to figure out. It's not all that, that 5%. Now, you, that 5% might be closer to 10 or 15 or 20 when you're younger because you're choosing your college. You've you got a lot of big things you're deciding. But, friends, if you're, if you're having a hard time discerning God's will, will I'll tell you what would probably be the most helpful thing for you to do. Put your phone down. And quit spending so many hours on the mental chewing gum of social media and spend more time reading his word, spending time in conversational prayer with him, processing it with a trusted brother or sister in Christ, in community. Get their wisdom. 
and get outside yourself and serve some other people. And I think, I just have a sneaking suspicion, if you would do that much, 95% of the time, it's, it's really not that complicated. You just need to move forward in what he's already shown you. You just need to go where he said go. For some of you, he's been, he's been telling you already, move. I told you this is not the right job for you. Your integrity is being compromised every day you go and you do this job. Why do you keep staying and saying, I just need God's will. Show me your I've already told you, move. Some of you, you need to move out of isolation. The next two Sundays are great Sundays here. There are on-ramp Sundays where we have the expo. You can go and meet a lot of different people and find out about all the different groups and classes and serve teams and all the things that, that are available this coming semester. Step out of Iceland. Move into community and have some brothers and sisters that you are friends with. You need to cultivate those. Some of you need to move out of the, the, the land of grudge holding. Move into the land of forgiveness. Some of you need to move out of the land of flirtatiousness. You're just really kind of good at that. And it gives you a little bit of a buzz. Say, I've still got it. And you need to stop that. You need to move out of that. You're grown up. You need to move out of that. Some of you, you you're being called to move in other ways. Maybe some of you are stingy. God's saying, I've blessed you. I've given you so much. And you don't give anything away. You, you just hoard all of it. And there's people who have other needs. The church needs your tithe. Why do you keep... I've already told you to be generous because if you'll be generous, I'll continue to pour out resources upon you. Don't you see? It's like a board game. Many times God's will. Once he's moved and said, here's what I want you to do, there's not more installment coming until you make your move and so it's silly to keep saying i just keep asking and well let's back up and make sure are you in his will already with what he's already told you obeying it's not that complicated it can be difficult but it's not complicated it's the only way to keep moving forward deeper into god's will you say but it's hard sure it is you say i, I don't think i'll get it right all the time no you won't so what did we do? We put our eyes on the one who always did, who moved from heaven to earth and became one of us for our sake, living the life of sinlessness that we could never live, dying the death of punishment that we deserved, conquering the grave we would never conquer, Jesus Put your eyes on him. Let his spirit fill you. And as you're filled with his spirit, say, I just surrender to you anew. All of my life, all of it, Lord. Not just a few chambers, not just a few rooms, but I'm keeping these isolated off on this side. No, all of me for all of you. I surrender. I'm available. I'm yours. When we live in that posture, ready to move, God shows up. I've seen it happen time and time again. And that's what I want to see in your life as well. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this intriguing passage and for the way that 
you show us the, the very humanity of Paul, that he couldn't get it all right, but, but he kept going. And he kept listening, and you kept making it clear, and it's really remarkable. Lord, that's what we want in all of our lives. My prayer is that each person here would surrender themselves anew today, Lord. That each person here would say, all of me for all of you, Lord, that's what I want. I'm turning my life over anew to you. Thank you.